Welcome to the Center for International and Regional Studies at Georgetown University in Qatar. These podcasts are part of a research initiative titled Building a Legacy, Qatar FIFA World Cup 2022. Welcome, everybody. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Anne and Adam Sobel for today's uh, podcast. Uh, and uh, Anne and uh, Adam uh, have Uh, produced uh, a documentary, uh, The Workers' Cup. Uh, Adam was a director and Anne the associate producer. And the documentary has been released in 2017. And uh, we are going to talk about it uh, today. Um, but I would first like to ask Anne, who uh, was a film professor at Northwestern University in Qatar from 2000 until 2016, Uh, why did you take the position in Qatar and uh, how did your time here influence um, the fact that uh, you and your husband uh, worked on a documentary? Sure. Um, I really did not want to take the position initially. I, I had not traveled much abroad and although I had always wanted to, the idea of moving to someplace I barely knew about was overwhelming. But um, you know, within a week of having the job offer, I immediately knew it was something I had to do, uh, that it was going to challenge me and be an exciting experience. And I was not disappointed. It is the most life-changing decision that I ever made um, to come to Qatar and to teach at Northwestern University there. I learned so much about the world. I strengthened my teaching and, you know, I brought, um, I think my passions to Qatar, which was filmmaking. And there's already a really exciting burgeoning market there and incredible talent um, in the university and in the country at large. And it, it was really special to be there for six years and learn so much um, about the region and have that influence um, our desire to make the Workers' Cup and to make a meaningful film, you know, that talks about issues uh, that are pertaining to the country and the region, but do so with a lot of complexity and a lot of depth. And I, I think we couldn't have done that had we not lived in the country for so many years and, you know, have such a care for the country itself, but also the, the larger impact that Qatar is making around the world. We should say uh, to all who uh, uh, listen to the podcast from abroad that uh, Georgetown University and Northwestern University are neighbors in uh, Education City. So can we say that without your uh, appointment at Northwestern University, uh, the film would have never been produced? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I came out to Qatar and very quickly I was excited by what was happening. I went alone. Um, Adam and I were just dating at the time and he's like, I'm definitely never moving there with you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going, you know, I, I have this really cool opportunity. And, um, you know, I invited him out for a visit and I was like, I really think you should come here. This is a country that's doing really exciting things. And the, um, the 2022 World Cup was announced the year that I moved. I moved in uh, the fall of 2010 and that's when they were awarded the cup. And that definitely prompted Adam's interest and piqued Adam's interest because he's a big football fan. 
And so he started ruminating on it. And when he came for a visit, he saw what I saw that, you know, Qatar is, is some, some place where it's like the new America, um, you know, new opportunities are, are happening all of the time. And, and yeah, so that, that was, and, you know, when he first landed, he said, I want to make a story about the World Cup happening in Qatar. And he didn't know what it was at the time. And it took five years, but it eventually did happen. Thank you, Anne. That's so interesting. Uh, Adam, um, uh, you are the director of the film. Uh, what was your main motivation to do this documentary? Yeah, I think, you know, um, even just following up on what Anne said, uh, 90% of the country in Qatar, right, is, 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 is not born in Qatar. They're not native to the to the country, they're, they're, they've come there for some sort of opportunity. And certainly Anne was, you know, she fell into that 90%, I fell into that 90%. And as soon as you arrive in the country, your eyes are open to um, just the, uh, the hundreds of thousands of stories of, of people um, similar to you in one respect, because they've also come to this country for a, for, for, for a new opportunity, um, but, uh, you know, obviously very different circumstances for, for each of us. Um, and uh, you can't spend more than a day in Qatar without um, recognizing uh, immediately that that there's there are you know uh, very different classes of people uh, doing very different classes of work, um, and in many respects you're kind of cut off from each other. Um, so you know you you can you can drive around the city and you can see you know, a, a busload of workers going to a job site, or you can be in a mall and maybe you can see workers um, who are, uh, you know, in service uh, positions uh, where they're, they're you know, uh, in the service industry, um, but you're not really interacting in a meaningful way. And after a couple years, a few years of living in Qatar, um, I was working with a production company, Media Dante, which ended up uh, producing this, this film as well with uh, Rosie Garthwaite and Ramsey Haddad. And, um, you know, we were just, we were kind of working in the current affairs and news uh, side of things and, and, and doing some news reports about workers, living conditions. Um, but we felt like we were always just barely scratching the surface and that we didn't really have the opportunity to ever tell a story that really, um, I don't know, related the workers' struggles in a way that was, um, that was personal uh, in a way that was perhaps human. It always felt like um, those stories, which we often didn't have editorial control of because they were being produced for uh, outside uh, media companies like you know, in the, in the US or uh, in Europe, um, those stories were often a little bit more salacious, you could say the headlines were more salacious and they, were, you know, they served the purpose of drawing interest to um, workers' rights, um, but they didn't necessarily humanize the workers themselves. And so the motivation with this film was to try to find some way to uh, access this story meaningfully so that you could spend real time getting to know uh, these men who were, who, who were really responsible for building up the country. I have to say, I, I watched the film with um, uh, my students in two classes and the students were really impressed. And many of the Qatari students said that they were not aware of uh, the 
living situation of the migrant workers and you really moved them a lot with uh, with your film um, but before we talk more about the content of the film could you uh, explain to all of us who are not like uh, working on producing films uh, more about the process like how how much time did it take to to do the film was it difficult to get permissions to do the filming Uh, uh, we know that the image of Qatar is that it's not a, a, a free media environment. So, um, how were you uh, dealing with uh, all these uh, uh, issues? Yeah, they're they're all very difficult issues to navigate. Um, I think you know, um, you know, Anne mentioned earlier that the the film kind of began as this kernel of an idea that it, when, when I arrived in the country, uh, which was shortly after Qatar was awarded the right to host the 2022 World Cup. Um, after I arrived, I, I started thinking there's, there's, there's got to be a film to be made here uh, about, about, you know, this, this country that doesn't have, you know, um, a particular football pedigree, um, that is a young country that doesn't have a whole lot of sporting infrastructure um, developing itself to, to, to host the world's biggest event. And so I, I would say that, you know, the idea kind of started germinating then in, in 2010, 2011. Um, but then we came upon uh, the, the Workers' Cup football tournament, which was being organized um, by the Supreme Committee. We found out about that tournament, I think in 2013, if I remember correctly. And uh, that was the first year they hosted it. And we were too late to, uh, to, to do anything that first year. And it was a very small tournament that was hosted that first year. And then when the tournament came back around, we, um, for its second inaugural uh, uh, tournament in 2014, we, we really started the process of pushing to, to make a film about it. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, permissions, as you mentioned, like Cutter is not a, there's no free media in Cutter. Um, so it is, it, is, it, is, it is not, you know, there aren't a whole lot of media protections. Um, and so we had to go about making this film and very carefully. Uh, we lived in Qatar at the time. Obviously all the characters in the film, all the workers themselves live in Qatar. And there's a lot of exposure to, um, you know, to, to, to uh, <laughs> adverse media laws. You don't, you don't want to get anybody, uh, certainly you don't want to get any of the workers in trouble. You don't want them to lose their jobs. You don't want them to, to lose their place in the country. Um, and we didn't want that for ourselves either. And that wasn't the intention of the film. The intention of the film really was to make something that could spark a dialogue and that didn't, that didn't um, uh, create a polemic. So um, luckily having lived in the country as long, you know, for a few years and at that point and uh, Ramsey and Rosie who were producing the film, um, they also had really deep connections uh, to people within uh, the Supreme Committee and people at construction companies. And so we just started uh, talking to them about this project um, and wanted to do something about the, the Workers' Cup. Um, and, you know, I think that this is something that gets lost a lot. Like you, you're in a country where, as you put it, Daniel, like the, the image of, of labor rights in Qatar is, is certainly a negative one um, as viewed worldwide. Um, and uh, I think that there's an, there's an assumption that everybody who lives there must feel the same way. Everybody who works in the system must feel the same way. And that's just not true. You know, um, there are plenty of people who live in the country. There are plenty of people who are in positions of power. There are plenty of people who are in positions, you know, of middle management and below um, who would like to see things change. 
um, but they might lack the uh, the power, the authority to 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 put that in force. And so I think that we knew enough of those people um, to where they kept kind of passing this project up the ladder, and eventually we gained the trust of um, people organizing the tournament and the trust of this one company in particular, Gulf Contracting Company, GCC. Uh, which is the company that we end up following through the the Workers' Cup tournament. And, um, you know, I think that certainly like the access that we got was unprecedented. Um, I think, you know, to to be honest, I think that even the company themselves, after they agreed to let us film it, they were surprised that <laughs> that we were able to get the access that we did, even within their own camps. Um, there was, there was, uh, uh, you know, I think that, that that's the benefit of not parachuting into the country to tell the story. The benefit of like actually living there was that we could just keep going back to the to the camps day after day after day and meeting with our characters for an extended period of time. Um, so we did that for about a year uh, and ultimately we're, we shot the film across a year, spent about a year unsuccessfully trying to fundraise <laughs> to finish the film. Um, and then finally we, we spent a third year just saying, ah, forget about it. We'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll just actually do this. We'll, we'll, we'll dive headlong and go ahead into the post-production process and self-finance it, which was great in respect because it allowed us to protect um, the message and uh, you know the, the creative contribution and ultimately say what we wanted to with the, with the film. Yeah, and if I can just add to that as well, um, in terms of, especially the question you asked prior to this, you know, my appointment at Northwestern, did that influence? Adam being able to make the film. And I would say absolutely. And what's interesting about that is Adam and I come from very middle-class American backgrounds. Uh, had we stayed in the United States, I don't know that we would have ever had the opportunity to make an independent documentary, maybe, but it's so financially taxing and burdensome if you don't already come from a cushy financial background. And if you don't already have a safety net, so from you know our economic position in the states trying to do something like that here would have been really challenging what ended up happening is you know university professors in Qatar especially through education city are paid very well and i was getting paid more as a film professor in Qatar than i would have in the states and that enabled adam to not work for a year and not bring in extra income and make this film and it's something that I find really interesting in terms of like the layers of economy in Qatar, where here we're making this film about migrant workers who come and maybe are they getting paid enough for their labor? And then I, on the other hand, was getting paid more for my labor and creating this opportunity I never could have had um, in my, my position in the US. So what I found most remarkable, uh, or one of the most remarkable, um, uh, features in the film was the enthusiasm uh, around the matches. So uh, if we compare this with uh, a regular uh, a football match in the Qatar Stars League, um, uh, I mean, there was so much more excitement and enthusiasm around the matches at the Workers' Cup. Uh, and how would you explain this enthusiasm? Anne's gesturing to me, she said, why don't you take that one? Um, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, I mean, the enthusiasm there was um, raw, and I think I'll use the word desperate. Um, 
You know, I think that th that that was that was what was so appealing about the Workers' Cup tournament as as an access point to tell a story of migrant workers, um, because because people uh, when when whenever they think of migrant workers, and you know, I'm generalizing here, but uh, certainly uh, the the stereotype of migrant workers and the migrant workers stories is that they're these you know poor, desperate individuals who have been um, you know, uh, perhaps uh, lied to and now find themselves in a position where they are downtrodden and woe is me. And there's, of course, like there's some truth to, 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 to that story. That's how it probably becomes a stereotype. Um, but that's certainly not uh, the totality of, 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 of any human's existence, let alone the workers in Qatar. And um, we knew that if you could frame that story um, which is an aspirational story at its heart, right? You have migrant workers who are coming to Qatar because uh, they, they want to succeed, because they want to improve their life circumstances. If you could frame that story uh, through something more hopeful, something more energetic, um, then perhaps you could find a deeper meaning in it. And I think that sports always uh, <laughs> provides that backdrop, especially like cinematically, you know, that, that's where, um, people, they come alive, you know, when you're on a football field, you have no choice but to physically come alive. Um, and so the enthusiasm at the, at the cup, I think that it was desperate in, in a sense because they, you know, workers needed uh, some outlet to, to feel included in, in society. They needed some outlet to unify um, and they just needed some outlet to, uh, to express themselves. Um, and, and, and the football tournament gave them all of that. Yes, but uh, your film also showed the limits of integration because some of the players were hoping they might be recruited by a, a, a Qatari a, a club, but uh, this was not possible, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, similar to how when workers are recruited to come to Cutter, there's often misinformation from the agents that are recruiting them in their home countries. You know, even after they arrive, there's still misinformation there. So one of our one of the characters in the film, Kenneth, uh, who's really he's the captain of the football team that we're following in the film. Um, he was a professional, kind of a lower level professional player in Ghana um, before arriving in Cutter, and he kind of arrives in Cutter under these false. Uh, circumstances. He he thought that he was coming to Qatar to play football. He had met a recruiting agent in Ghana who had convinced him that he found him a club in Qatar who he was going to be playing for once he arrived there. And then once he got off the plane in Qatar and he goes to meet, you know, with the company, um, they hand him, of course, a hard hat <laughs> and you know a shovel, and they say, "You're not you're not a, a football player here. You're a you're a worker." And he was very confused by that and very dismayed. He was under the impression that they were going to release him and to, to, to play for this club. Um, so then through the, the tournament, he sees, he sees an opportunity to you know, escape, escape his circumstances and find a club in Qatar that he could play for. Um, only then to realize eventually without, I don't wanna spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen the film, but only to realize eventually that you know, that's not possible. Um, so yeah, absolutely. They they definitely run up against the limits of um, uh, of 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 uh, how far you know kind of in blind enthusiasm will take you. So uh, we see in the film that the um, 
migrant workers, they share uh, rooms, um, they uh, say, make statements that they cannot go to a mall, that they can't go to a date. Uh, however, um, recently there were some policy changes in uh, Qatar uh, and uh, some uh, reforms uh, of the labor system with the abolishment of the sponsorship, the so-called kafala system and the introduction of a minimum wage. So um, do you, uh, are you a bit uh, proud on, on, on on your film and do you think that maybe it might have contributed to these changes and uh, what do you think about uh, uh, changes? I think the changes are um, a long time coming but also uh, surprising and I, I don't think that they would be possible were it not for you know Qatar hosting the 2022 World Cup. I think that uh, the attention that the country uh, was brought after being awarded the right to host the World Cup uh, really put them in the spotlight and um, you know, brought this issue of migrant workers' rights uh, to the forefront. You know, obviously, the, uh, <laughs> the issue of, of, of migrant workers have been coming to the Gulf for, for decades, right? This, this is an issue that long predates the World Cup being hosted in Qatar. But I, I do think that the world really started to care about it once, um, once the World Cup uh, was going to be played there, because that is that is considered a global moment, and uh, you know suddenly people, you know, if you were in Europe or South America or you know Asia or North America or Africa, wherever you happen to be, um, if you were a fan of this game and if you were going to enjoy the World Cup and cheer for your team there, you 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 might start imagining that you were complicit in any sort of abuse that was happening to, to bring that moment to light. So I, I, I am um, really hopeful that the changes that have been announced with the, the labor laws in Qatar are uh, going to be enduring. Um, you know, there have been lots of reports about um, wage protection that, that, is, that, that has not been uh, uh, well, there have been abuses of wage protection even in the last year, even since um, you know these labor laws have been have been announced. Um, and it seems like enforcing these laws is 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 another thing. You know, yeah. uh, announcing the laws is one thing; enforcing them is, is different. Um, but I mean, I think that you could even look at Qatar, compare it to its neighbors, where um, the labor laws are even worse than Qatar's laws, um, significantly worse. And you can say, you know. Certainly, you can, you should, you should, uh, um, you should congratulate Qatar for responding to critics, for working with critics, including the ILO, um, and for trying to change. I just hope that once the World Cup comes and goes, and this issue is no longer on people's minds, that Qatar stands by its promises. Yes, and as we know um, from uh, diffusion policy. Uh, theories usually uh, a change starts on a regional level so if one country changes something it's quite likely that neighboring country follow the lead so it remains to be interesting to see uh, whether uh, neighboring countries will do similar changes and the enforcement issue of course is very interesting to to monitor in the years to come and I would like to ask you you were in education city working uh, we have there the uh, 
impressive architecture. So the reality in education city is so different from um, from the labor camp. So how did did you um, and both of you deal with like these two different uh, realities you witnessed while being in Qatar? That's a great question. Um, yeah, it was very, it was in a, I learned so much about money and economics by coming to Qatar. Because like, as I mentioned before, I lived a very middle-class American existence. I was a very insular American. I was not very much outside of my bubble. Um, most of the people I knew were within a range of middle class. And of course there's massive wealth disparities in the United States, but I, there's a way in which you can just end up in your socioeconomic bubble here and not really leave it. Whereas in Qatar, you are, it's so small and it has the same kind of wealth disparities, but you are really hitting up against each other. I came to Education City and I was in like this gorgeous three bedroom apartment that overlooked the Persian Gulf. It was surreal to me. Um, it, it, I, I was flown business class, you know, all of these things done to entice someone who's a film professor, which isn't exactly the most like prestigious job in the United States. And then of course you're seeing like the T-boys serve you and you know, not fully understanding their situation when you first come to Qatar, like not really knowing, you know, how they're brought overseas. And it's a slow unfolding of the awareness that you have. And, you know, it's, again, it's not so simple as to just chastise the country because I, I do feel the ruling family, when they built Education City, when they went for the Workers' Cup, you know, Adam mentioned that they were then criticized and then they worked with the critics. I believe they're inviting this kind of change. Now, I don't know that they always want what comes with it, but they are, they're catering to this kind of conversation. Education City has academic freedom and the conversations that we have within the walls of Education City I think are incredible. Um, and then they're spilling out onto the streets. And so, uh, you know, I can't say that I was ever able to reconcile what my status was and what it meant. And then honestly, to move back to the United States and just be a regular person again, quote unquote. Um, that transition has been, you know, a really interesting one of, sh of moving through these different economic statuses and situations. But I, I feel like it at least brought me awareness of the complexity of all of these issues and, and what can my contribution be? And in this case, you know, we, we made this film or I wanted to participate in this film because I felt like this is an issue and it should be ha handled thoughtfully and sensitively um, and not just pointing fingers or offering really easy answers. And that was something I felt very proud of, of being a part of. My last question is not on the Workers' Cup. Uh, in the film, we, we just see men, but uh, my last question is on women's sport in the country, uh, since I know that you and have also been uh, the assistant women's basketball coach at uh, Northwestern University in Qatar. So when we look at sport development in the country, all the sporting successes have been by men as a national uh, 
uh, a soccer team won the Asian Cup last year. We have the high jumper Mutas Bashim who won the World Championship. At the Olympics, uh, uh, all but two athletes were uh, uh, men. So uh, what were like your experiences with women's sport while being at Northwestern University? How was your work as assistant coach of the basketball team? Were the women in the team uh, all foreigners? Were there also some local women? And um, um, uh, was it easy or difficult to encourage uh, uh, female students to play in the team? What were your experiences? It would be very interesting uh, if you share this with us. Sure, it was an awesome experience. I partially um, became the assistant basketball coach because when I came to Northwestern, um, on my pre-hire visit, I was taken to a women's basketball game and it was like a raucous event and people were so into it. And you don't get that for women's basketball in the United States. So I found that really exciting. Um, and of course I came to Qatar honestly with like no expectations. I just, I didn't know much. And I, I wouldn't even say I was surprised there was a women's basketball team, but I was like, oh, of course there's a women's basketball team. That's absurd that there wouldn't be. So, you know, I, I want to emphasize it was actually very normal and it was a great mix of um, expat students and students who are locals and a, a really wide range. Every once in a while there was considerations for someone who, you know, wanted to wear a hijab or, you know, needed to go pray, but I, that was part of the fabric of society anyway. So I didn't consider that like an aberration or any kind of anomaly. Uh, it was it was honestly just very normal and great. And m I think the thing that I took away most from that was the, the women's basketball team at NUQ drew the biggest crowds of any event, any sport in the school. And that was always something I felt so proud of and so excited by, I think because sport in the country is generally kind of small scale, even the professional teams, right? You're not getting these like grand 100,000 person stadiums filled up. I think that there's a smaller scale of sport, but there's a real passion and excitement for just the everyday love of the game, getting out on the court or getting out in the field. And, you know, it seems to me that is dispersed through every walk of life, every person, wherever they're from, if they're from Morocco or Yemen or the UK, you know, if they're in Qatar, they're engaging and um, connecting over sport. And that that was a, a level playing field to, to a huge degree. Thank you uh, very much, uh, Anne and Adam Sobel uh, for talking to us today. That was so interesting. And good luck to both of you for your future work. Thank you so much, Daniel. It was such a pleasure.